Hello friends, how you doing? It's Matt and you're listening to episode 28 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's my podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So as usual, thanks for listening to and or downloading the show and I hope you enjoy it. So as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, I am in Sydney for a month while I'm halfway through to be exact. I've been here two weeks, I've got exactly two weeks to go. And as I also mentioned, I've been busy making plans to interview some of the key players of the Sydney surf community while I'm here for what you might call my Aussie omnibus. Um, If you've been a regular listener, you probably know about the Irish omnibus, which featured Sophie Hellier, Fergal Smith and uh, Eastkey Britain when I did my trip to, to Ireland in September. So yeah, I kind of figure if all goes well, what we've got on our hands here is an Aussie omnibus. And my guest for the first episode sure fits the description of a key player in the Sydney surf community. It is Hayden Cox. So Hayden is the founder, owner and general creative force behind the mighty Hayden Shapes surfboards. Without question, one of the most influential surf brands of the last decade. Why? Well, because Hayden's come up with two of the most ubiquitous innovations in recent surf history. Future Flex and most notoriously, the Hipto Crypto surfboard. Now, if you surf, chances are you either own one of these boards or you're used to seeing and being ridden at your local break or any break you visit around the world. And whatever you think of them, few surfboards have crossed over to such a dramatic extent. And today, Hayden Shapes has come to epitomise a particularly modern take on surfing. And this being surfing, which as we all know is full of absolutely opinionated bellends, a lot of people aren't very happy about that. Still, whether you consider him and his brand to be the modern day surfing version of the Emperor's New Clothes, or thank him daily for providing you with a greatly enhanced surfing experience every time you paddle out, the indisputable fact is that Hayden Cox is one of the most influential shapers of our time. And as such, I was pretty keen to chat to him. So I headed up to Mona Vale, a little suburb in Sydney's northern beaches, where I visited Hayden at his uh, new factory and showroom. And I had an extremely enjoyable morning chatting to him about his life and career and being shown around the showroom and factory. I'll warn you now, as with the Ben Skinner episode, which also took place in the surfboard factory, the first 20 minutes of this one are a geek fest. I'm not going to apologise for that. In my world, when you've got Hayden Cox in his showroom, you're going to let the man talk you through his range of surfboards. Uh, well, if you, me, you are anyway. But don't fret if you're not a surf geek, and I'm sure there's plenty of you listening to this who aren't and are rapidly reaching for the stop button. As you'll hear, Hayden is warm, generous, and a charismatic presence. And as the conversation develops, what really unfolds here is a story about business and business risk-taking. As you're going to hear, Hayden ultimately is a problem solver, first and foremost. He describes it as his guiding principle as a designer, and it's also clear that it's the way he's approached the entire process of turning Hayden shapes into the globe-straddling beast it is today. I found this to be really fascinating. As I've mentioned a few times, I'm also, well, isn't a small business. I own a small business. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to take from this. If uh, If you're also an entrepreneur, or you uh, have desires to start a business or you've got an idea you want to follow through, just take the story of Future Flex, one of his signature innovations, which Hayden describes in detail during our conversation. So this innovation itself is the culmination of an attempt by Hayden to find a way of scaling his business as a surfboard shaper 
beyond what he could personally deliver. So if I was the creator of a particular type of podcast, I might refer to this as hacking the surfboard shaper paradigm. But I'm not, so I won't. But yes, as the chat develops, peerless business and life lessons drop thick and fast. From using a setback such as almost going bankrupt during the global financial crisis as an opportunity for growth, to methodically looking at each area of his business and finding ways to improve them either personally or via collaborations. And the sheer scale of Hayden's ambition also becomes clear as we chat. At one point, as he casually puts it, I'm here to challenge myself to do this better than anybody has done before and better than I've ever done this before. Big goals, I'm sure you'll agree. So yeah, a weighty and hugely enjoyable episode this one, in which we hear about the decisions made behind closed doors that enable a shaper like Hayden Cox to bring a board like the Hypto Crypto to a beach near you and make an impact on the experience of riding a surfboard today. I hope you enjoy it because I really like this one. And uh, thanks Hayden and thanks Danielle. I had a great time. Here it is, my conversation with Hayden Cox about Hayden Shapes and the board that took over the world. Enjoy. How long have you had this place? The showroom's been here, it's our first um, Hayden Shapes retail space, um, and it's two years on this year. Um, but it's in the street that I first ever shaped my first surfboard. Oh, is it? So Darley Street and, and Mona Vale is a bit of a, bit of a sort of a, a hub for surfboard shapers in Sydney. Are you from Mona Vale then? Um, no, I actually grew up inland, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. And um, I didn't know there was actually surf in Sydney until I was 14 years old. Oh, really? And found out that you could get a bus down here. I think right. my, my mum hid that one from me. Okay. Otherwise, she'd lose me to the beach. So sure. 14 years old, every weekend after I figured out I could get a bus, right. I was on the bus every weekend. So, so it's quite late then? Oh, well, I started surfing when I was four. Ah, uh, okay. But right. I would only surf in my school holidays when we'd travel up and down the east coast of New South Wales, which is quite kind of bushland and you camp in all the different sort of national parks. Yeah. And I would, uh, every holidays we'd be on a different national park, different beach. Great. I'd be surfing there. So I really didn't um, put two and two together that surf was in Sydney. Right. I only ever associated with in my holidays. So, right. Um, but I think that was a bit of a tactic of my mum's to, yeah, yeah. to keep, me, keep me focused on the... Um, on the studies and the schooling and yeah. um, all, all the things that I did growing up, playing sports, and then um, holiday time was uh, camping, you know, hanging out in the bush and going surfing. Right. So when you opened this store, it was kind of a nice symbolic, uh, like, decision to sort of site it here where you first definitely got into like it. you know we could have gone to maybe something around Bondi or yeah. down Manly where there's definitely a, a lot more people sort of just browsing around walking around the shops yeah are they more like the traditional kind of surf industry hubs in Sydney those two towns um I think they're more the traditional beaches right that are recognized and well known in terms of tourists coming sure. coming into town and iconic beaches like Bondi you yeah know, it's it's known all the way around the world um and there's really good fun surf there I lived there for two years and I would say winter time small south swells that aren't predicted and um you get some beautiful clean little sandbars and yeah, um, yeah. fun waves there but I mean surfboard manufacturing has been has been a, a strong hub in Brookvale and up in Mona Vale okay um and waves like Narrabeen and other other waves around the northern beaches have sort of brought up world champion surfers like yep. Barton Lynch, Tom Carroll, yep. um, and, and the likes. So, and a, a string of amazing, talented shapers, you yep. know, everything, everyone from, say, Simon Anderson, who 
you know, invented a three-fin surfboard to sure. um, plenty of other amazing talented yeah, shapers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to speak to Lane Beachley, actually. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Lane's a lovely lady. She's um, got a great spirit, lots of positive energy. And, yeah, um, yeah. Surf's amazing, too. So Yeah. No, she's um, been super cool, actually. She's been really, um, yeah, really, yeah. really up for it, which is great. So talk me through this um, beast. Well, yeah. this beast is actually the uh, beginning of, this, of our new model, Holy Grail. So, um, hold on a sec. Biggie? <laughs> Hold on a sec. Biggie. Biggie. Biggie's doing a run at Yeah, man. No worries. Biggie. <laughs> that's, that's my firstborn child. He's the ADD one that is definitely lots of, lots of <laughs> a big challenge. He looks pretty busy. And then I've got a beautiful daughter who's extremely cruisy. And um, definitely not as much work as you, mate. He looks he looks pretty pleased with himself. He is pleased, but he um, <laughs> he's trying to get get my love back. But you went looking for mum, and you know mum's across the road, don't you? That's uh, why I was like, that street's extremely busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's once want, gone onto the street. You don't want him over there. Nah. No. So no, look at him now. He's there you go. Out. Yeah. But um, back to where we were. Um, yeah. This big blackboard here was the, it's the Holy Grail sort of beginnings and um, it sort of got designed with a, an Australian big wave surfer. He, he grew up around Narrabeen, so okay. one beach south of here. Yeah. And um, he wanted a board that he could surf big open ocean waves yeah. was in Hawaii and um, Northern California and, and kind of bank just big turns underneath the lip. And so it's called the, um, the Holy Grail, but it's a board that sort of allows you to sort of track down across the wave extremely quickly. Yeah. But then I'm using these inverted outlines and these side cuts, which affect the rail line curvature of the board and help the board turn on a really tight or a tighter radius when, okay. when sort of on the rail line of the board. So in this big blackboard, which is an 8.6 by 21 by probably about three and a half, this particular one, um, this is designed to kind of surf with a nice long sort of curve, so a, a really nice open radius, but suited to something with a 30 or 40 foot face I was wave. going to say, that is a big wave board, yeah, isn't it? definitely a big wave board. Yeah. Um, the, the model that we actually released to the general public, um, which is designed from this particular board, um, is designed to surf generally sort of everything from about waist high up to about you know, head high and a half faces, double overhead faces, yeah, yeah. you can just handle. Oh, it looks and fun. Um, the curve and the inverted outline that I used in the back third of this board is really designed to suit those types of curves and, and really come off the bottom and, and surf really nice carving turns tighter in the pocket. So it's a, it's a great board to kind of progress your surfing from your hypto crypto. If you've been riding that board for the last couple of years and yeah. you, you felt like your surfing's gotten better, this the Holy Grail is a board that We'll still have a great paddle. Um, it's, got, it's got a lot of speed off that front foot, but it really does serve like a performance board in the sense that you can come off the bottom and go really nice and tight vertical turns yep. in, in a steeper type of wave. Um, so it's a very versatile board and um, it, you can have a, definitely a lot of fun with it. So you generally ride this about an inch longer than your Hypto Crypto okay. with the same width and thickness. Um, and there's lots of little details and the features. And I think as a, as a surfboard designer, when I tackle, a new shape or an idea or a challenge by someone that I'm shaping a board for. I really like to um, kind of logically think about some of the design features, how they might work and balance together. And I think that's what a shaper does. They balance a whole heap of different curves to work in unison together in, in the types of ways that you want to surf. And every shaper has their own way to do that. 
and that's the beauty of what, you know the the surfboard and and the industry that we're in is there's no right way or wrong way to do it. So is that what appealed to you about it at the start? I that, feel that, like that, that problem solving. I think it still aspect. appeals to me than the fact that you can never feel like you perfect it. Yeah. You can always do something a bit better. Because the way you describe it is like a problem solving process almost. That's it? how I approach it. Yeah. Um, some are a little bit more uh, emotional in the feeling, yeah. like less planned out or less calculated in what they're going to do. They'll start off with a, a foam blank and yeah. sort of go through the motions and, and the ball will take shape and form with an idea and a bit of feeling throughout that whole process. Yeah. And they're kind of generally more one-off shapes that are probably potentially hand-shaped. Um, and that's how I started shaping for the first eight to ten years of my career. Every board was that, and you'd make a slight mistake yeah. with a planer, or you'd do something a little bit sort of not what you expected, but then it would take you down a path of adjusting for that, sort of balancing that back out, and then you'd sort of get a slightly different board every single time. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's essentially what a hand shape is. But in the modern world of shaping today, like, and pretty much where all our brands are at, is we use design software, designing a 3D CAD model. Yeah. It's designed in two, 2D sort of form and it comes together in a 3D shape. Yeah. And that gets um, cut on a three axis, most likely three axis, some four and five axis machines, but most of us will use a three axis machine and that will cut around 95% of the shape of the board. And the last sort of, you know, 10, five to 10% is actually finished off by hand. Yeah. But it's the last 1% is what can make a difference between a great board and a, sure. and a board that's just a good board, um, as well as in every other part of the process along the way. So yeah. um, when it comes to designing a shape, yeah, I, I like to set myself a bit of a brief and that actually probably makes the process a bit easier. Yeah. Start with, okay, where are you gonna surf? What type of surfers do you wanna have riding this board and generally for me to put a board into our model range and sort of and launch it uh, you know out into the into the market i see that that board needs to translate from your your average to intermediate surfers you know your casual surfers surfing maybe two three times a month all the way to the guys who are surfing every single day or, yep. or the professional riders that ride our boards so it's um i enjoy that challenge it's not easy to to kind of put all those pieces of the puzzle together to, to sort of tick all the boxes for you, you know those really good surfers as well as yeah the, the more intermediate surfers but that's I feel like the fun so and that's what generally would take me one to two years to kind of really figure out I might get the concept and the basic part of the shape down yeah and I'll surf it myself and really enjoy how it rides yeah but then it's like okay well now how does how does Craig like the feeling about sure. Portal Creed or, or one of our other riders and then how does my mate feel like or my brother who, who's an accountant and yeah yeah and or the guys that you surf as, with yeah, yeah. Um, I, I see myself as an experienced you know everyday surfer yeah um, not a great surfer like the team but you know I've ridden plenty of surfboards and surfed my whole life so but I'm you know got a young family I don't surf as much these yeah, days yeah. and so I need the boards to work for myself as well as to work for my customers as well as our team yeah um, so, well, well, should we have a look at the, the Hepto while we're here? Definitely. Seeing, seeing as it's the, the board that... Yeah, there's not many left because it's um, Christmas time right now. And yeah. that rack has been... It always dwindles down to not many left in the, um, in the racks around this time of year. So, so you were just describing like where you get the ideas from and, and how you did the long process. So where, where was this... When so did you first start thinking funny about enough, this? The Hypto Crypto and the Holy Grail are both boards that I designed personally for myself. Okay. Not with a team rider in mind. Right. Um, other boards, 
that I have designed, like the Psyche Electra, um, was with Warren Smith, the White Noise, Black Noise are with Craig Anderson. Yeah. Um, and, and other boards, like Untitled are for a friend, Luke Harwood, over in New Zealand. Um, Plunder was for a mate, Brock, um, and Jim, and um, Sam Coombs over at Critical Slide Society. Um, but the Hypto and the Holy Grail are boards, uh, boards, both boards that I designed for myself. And the Hypto Crypto actually came from a single fin handshape that, okay. I, that I had in my sort of my repertoire of boards. And um, I had a friend, one of my best mates, Luke, uh, he lives over in the in the states these days. He he's like, oh, I would love a, you know, like a twenty kind of swallow tail, you know, very Southern California, San Diego style of board. And I was like, yeah, cool, you know, like um, I don't kind of really vibe with you know those wide swallow tails, but I'll shape you one anyway. Yeah. Shaped him it, and I had a ride of it out at Monaval, and um, it was kind of like the parts that I do enjoy about those boards is they carry a lot of speed and they yeah. zip around a wave and they kind of. Um, have a lot of planing surface area on them and it's super fun but I, I have liked a lot of rounder tails just personally yeah. in my surfing and um, I felt that putting a rounder pintail from one of my sort of step up boards on that style of shape was going to allow me to kind of pivot and turn tighter in the pocket and not have that sort of wider back end of the board which kind of creates a bit of release yeah and it creates a, lo a strong lot of drive and a lot of speed down the line. Yeah, but yeah. once you want to turn around the pocket and the curvier parts of the wave, it can get a little bit restrictive. So that's where I, I rode my mate Luke's board once out at Monoval on the, on the Rip Bowl. And um, I was like, oh, it goes fast, but it, I don't like how it's sort of feeling turning really tight in the pocket. Um, so I put this rounded pintail on, on that design. And the first one I did, I, I had the rails a little bit wrong, uh, kind of a little bit more like a shortboard rail. And it wasn't kind of connecting like exactly how I wanted it to. And so we, we started to put these downturn rails onto it and um, kind of refine a few of the, the characteristics that will control the water flow along the rail line. And um, it sort of came together in the next board. And I, I rode that one and I was like, oh, this feels magic. And I was like, oh, I better shape Craig one of these. Right. And back then Craig was riding like a, a 510, sort of 17, 78 by 28 inches thick, you know, a, okay. a very high performance, traditional kind of long and skinny shortboard. Yeah. And he had a single fin and he understood, you know, when he'd ride a single fin and how he'd ride those. But when I gave him this, this sort of uh, hypno crypto, he, was, he had no idea how to maybe perceive the board or where he'd ride it. Uh, okay, And it sat in his garage for about a year. So he didn't even surf it? No. Right. Um, he probably took a year to digest it and mentally get his head around How did where. you feel about that? I, I don't have any problems with that because... You want someone to want to ride one of your boards yeah. and, and, and be open-minded enough to connect with it yeah. or feel out how they could connect with a board. Yeah, yeah. If you force someone to ride a board, then it's like, it's, I mean, when I was forced to do something as a kid, I hated it. Yeah. I never wanted to do it. Yeah. So I think it's better that people come to you and people sort of want to ride your boards and yeah. they're ready to do that. So that that's, that's the best connection that you can get. With that unfolded at its own time. Exactly right. Yeah. So take the pressure off that whole... Uh, and uh, not force the, the story. And I yeah. think I, I've carried that throughout my whole career and how I sort of work with all different surfers. I, I do prefer to have them want to instigate, hey, I want to ride this board. What, yeah. what about this one? I'd love to try this one out. Okay. And that's when I feel like you, you do spark a really good connection. Right. And so I, Craig, I, I, you know, it didn't worry me. I was, I was enjoying it. Yeah. So I was having fun. <laughs> yeah. And um, I knew Craig would enjoy it once he got on it. And that original board was a, a 5.4 by 19.5 by 2 and 3.8s. It was around 27.4 litres. Um, 
and he ended up taking out at Dixon Park one day, um, it was, um, which is kind of up in Newcastle, which is two hours north of Sydney. Yep. And Dixon Park, when it gets those big northeast swells, will break out the back and get these long barreling left-handers. It'll kind of, kind of, you'll get little chip-ins and it can break from top to bottom even when it's quite big. Right, okay. And um, Craig was like, oh, I'll give this a go. And um, it looks like it's flat, it's got lots of volume. Yep. Probably paddle, get me into the waves. Yeah. And he instantly connected with it. Brilliant. He was like, oh, wow wow, I've been, I've been missing out on something with this. And right. I think two weeks later, he was off to G-Land for his first Quicksilver Moments campaign. So he took it. And he took it over to G-Land and he surfed G-Land on it. It's sort of nice six, six to eight foot G-Land and um, some smaller days too. And he just instantly like, you know, connected with the board and right. found the lines that it could draw on that sort of ease of paddling and taking off. And, but then being able to position the board and move it around the face of a wave. And it was a board that... I always designed to kind of cruise on. It was never that high performance board that you're going to kind of come off the bottom and throw your fins out the top and win, right. win a CT contest on. Yeah, yeah. It's never ever designed for that. Um, you can push that board, the board, and sort of stomp off the tail in smaller waves and you know do, do some nice turns on it. But you always had that in mind. That I always had it in mind that it was going to just ride open face. Right. And so that means riding a barrel is the same as kind of you know you're riding on open clear water. Yeah. And um, that's how Craig wrote it and. He still does today, and uh, you know that that first trip was was amazing to G Land, and then the year later he went back and shot the whole um, a whole campaign over at Desert Point yeah. for his next Quicksilver Moments campaign. Uh, I think those two two campaigns were um, in the earlier days really defining moments for Craig in terms of Quicksilver put those edits out to a global audience. Yeah, was, iconic. Yeah, yeah, was, iconic it was, it kind of, You know, Craig has done a lot of things. Um, even before that in his career and, and, and his surfing has been always amazing, even from when he was really young. But it, it, it takes the right timing um, to sort of, you know, have everything to come together and then be seen by enough people at the right time yeah. when it's ready yeah. to then sort of go, oh, to be recognised and to be remembered. And I think that that, that time, um, not only riding the board with the technology, this black and white carbon rail board, He's riding a, a really short board in some big ways, kind of, you know, Tom Curran-esque from, yeah. from his uh, sort of Indonesian days that, that everyone remembered. Um, and, and he was just kind of drawing lines that were just so smooth. And that's, that's the beauty of Craig surfing. And um, I feel like we were both young in our careers and it was kind of starting to get a little bit of a word. You know, we already, you know, a lot of people knew about my boards and a lot of people knew about Craig, but yeah. globally, not, not many people so that knew was about the, us. That was the moment that, that... That was kind of that moment where we started to, to get a little bit more awareness both, um, and, and, and our careers were starting to grow um, and, and sort of build an audience around the globe. And um, after that, you know, he, he kept on writing. He wrote it in sessions over in, in West Africa. He's written it at that Kandui swell. Yeah, up yeah. In the, up in the I'm going to put that. I'm going to put that clip in actually. Yeah, that's, that's a legendary clip, it, isn't it's it? It's I, I love it. Yeah. If you have the clip from the start to finish. Yeah, I've never seen the full clip actually. The way he takes off. Right. At the back. I know. I have seen the. I have seen the takeoff. He takes yeah. off sideways. He kind yeah. of drops in the lip and it spits out and he just rides down. This, it's the style. The style's it's, um, a joke. I mean, there's he surfed his board at Chopes. Um, he's surfed his board in in some crazy waves in Australia. Yeah. Um, and he's really pushed the limits of where this shape and how this board works. Yeah. Um, but it's been, 
the board that he's you know landed a, you know, a lot of his iconic covers on yeah, some yeah. of the most iconic waves he's been photographed and filmed surfing um, but then again it's it's a board he probably only rides to this board 20% of the time that he surfs yeah and it's um it's funny how they're the moments that people extract out of his surfing and remember yeah and you know obviously I shape a, a, a ton of other styles of boards and um and enjoy shaping all types of boards um but this one is stuck as the one that sort of everyone remembers Craig riding and remembers myself as a shaper for. Well, it's and what, it's probably connected with the most in terms of surfers around the world on all different types of beaches in different waves. Well, that was, that was what I was going to ask you because it's one thing for somebody like Craig to connect with it, but then for, for it to have such a huge audience around the world with, for so many different surfers is another thing entirely, isn't it? So what, what do you think it is about the board that people have taken to so much? The versatility. Yeah. To have a shape that is... Um, stable, it paddles really well, but then it performs on the on the clean open faces when the waves get bigger. Yeah, that's when people have this certain trust and this connection with your board and confidence with that board. Yeah, that when the waves do get bigger and better, you want to trust. You can it. still ride the same board. Yeah, and that's a board with the versatility that allows you to kind of just constantly connect with. Yeah, and you fall in love with that. You know, it's a, it's a repetitive kind of. Um, hit of, of, of kind of excitement and stoke and confidence that you have and helps you progress your surfing. And um, it's not necessarily a small wave board. People ride it in small waves and have a lot of fun, but with a rounded pintail, it's not like it's probably the best board to ride in waist high and under conditions, but you can still ride it in that and have yeah. a great time. It's seen plenty know. of people riding it in those conditions. Yeah, exactly right. So um, I think the versatility, and then it's also the technology you know, it's, it's the style of shape being that sort of coming from that classic kind of um, swallowtail twin fin. Um, yeah, you know, people have shaped boards like this before and similar kind of, obviously not exactly the same makeup, but the technology brings an element to this shape that hasn't been done before. Yeah. You know, the FutureFlex technology with a yeah, parabolic yeah. carbon fibre frame is something that complements this style of shape really, really nicely. Well, I mean, that's the other thing that you're obviously best known for. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the black and white, the carbon rail. Yeah. It's, it's the technology which helped put myself on the map as a shaper. And I think this particular board, as well as lots of other boards, but this particular board, it brings that excitement and that spark and that liveliness to a shape which is generally quite subdued and quite chilled out and relaxed in the sense that it'll sit lower in the water. It will kind of run really smoothly. It will generate speed by just allowing the rockers to do their things. Um, and this technology brings, it's lighter, it's got that flex that kind of is really defined and really electric in terms of it responds to your surfing probably faster than any technology in the market and gives that rail line a, a certain feeling that is controlled but, but lively. So it's, um, it's one that you, you probably, I can talk about it all day long, but sure. you need to ride it to kind of yeah. understand that feeling. Well, I'd be interested to know when you first formulated the idea. Well, FutureFlex came about in ideas and playing around in the factory in around 2006. Okay. And I commercially brought it to market in May 2007. Um, that's when I brought it to market and started selling it. And um, it started off actually as a, a design where I actually housed a whole parabolic carbon frame internally within this sort of vacuum bag yeah. um, sandwich construction. And it felt really good, but it was extremely technical to make. And it was, I learned something in high school in woodwork and uh, metalwork that 
keep it simple, stupid, the KISS rule. Yeah. Um, Mr. Parker, who uh, he, he probably taught me one of my most valuable lessons when I was 14 years old. That right. Some of the best designs are extremely simple. Yeah, yeah. And that original design was extremely complicated and was very hard to replicate between all different shapes and sizes. And so I, I re-looked at the materials I was using, kind of customised a bunch of materials with some of my suppliers, including the EPS foam, the carbon tapes, um, the, the Biax fabrics, getting them to a lighter weight sort of um, construction. And piece to customise those ingredients and put them together and then um, kind of designed it where the carbon frame would now sit on the outside. Yep. And that means I could apply it to any shape very simply. It was um, easier to control the flex and the look of feel kind of came along with that and that's what created that black and white look for, for us. And um, it's just been, been growing with us. And 10 years on now, uh, it's a decade since I launched it um, into market. Um, it hasn't changed since, the, since that early days. Yep. Um, we've gotten better with some of the textiles and, and improved some of the textiles just to improve the manufacturing process and the weight of the board and the strength. But essentially the technology and the theory behind the tech is, hasn't changed in, in 10 years and it's um, the same tech that I shaped for, for customers 10 years ago and that's probably what's um, stuck with people. Some people have their boards, they're five years old and um, they're still as lively as they were for day one. Yeah. They might be a bit more yellow because sure. boards get sunburnt, the same, yeah. as, same as humans. But, um, yeah, yeah um, they can still flex and perform the same as um, how they did day one. And that's the, that's the beauty of this construction and these material set is that the lifespan of the flex pattern of the board is the durability that you're getting. You can break yeah. any board, you know what I mean? Cross-breaking strength and things like that. Um, every board has its limit that it gets pushed into and it will break. It's the design of the construction and the, the materials that we're using to create the flex pattern. Everything from the carbon fibres to the glass fibres to the epoxy resins and the EPS foam. For that combination and the particular combination is extremely sensitive, but when it's put together right, it has a really lively and kind of fluid flex and it lasts a long time in terms of the flex pattern. Did you um, come across any scepticism? In of the, course. And, and how, what, Still do. <laughs> yeah, and that's something I'm, I wanted to ask you in a bit more detail I la mean, later on. But like with the, with the future flex, like how did the industry react? Did, did people, because you must have been pretty young then, right? Yeah, I was quite young. I was only 26 years old yeah. kind of thing. So was there um, a bit, because there's, there's obviously, you know, an old guard, isn't there, in, in the industry? So. I mean, I, I had scepticism and I had support. Yeah. You know, the first shaper to jump on board was Matt Bialis. Okay. Um, he was, I, read, I had a really good friend who was, was helping run chili surfboards at the time. Yeah. And um, once I had designed and brought it to market, I took around to my mate Taylor at, um, at Chili's and um, I was like, oh, Taylor, check out this technology. I, I want to license it out to all the shapers and this is my idea. I, I want the Dolby Digital of, of surfboards. And um, right, I want. So the, so the ambition was, was that? The ambition was that I wanted every surfer to be riding the boards. Just that. In the, in, in the world. <laughs> yeah, that was my ambition. And I was a you know, 25, 26 year old shaper looking at where I was at, you know, shaping 10 boards a week. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never going to get every single surfer in the world riding my boards. So. Let's, uh, let's think of a, a different idea, a different way to tackle this. And I was like, well, How can we scale it? Yeah, how can we scale it? How can I kind of actually tap into existing communities of surfers, right. which shapers already have? Yeah, yeah. And that led me to going, well, if I design a technology and a construction of a surfboard, then license it out to the shapers, let them control the sales and distribution and the shaping of the board. Yeah. 
because that's their personality that they bring to it. Yeah. The part I'll put into that is my personality of the technology. With the technology, okay. And then offer it to their customer bases. And that, that's how I went to market. Uh, and, and but that idea came before the solution? Yep. Right. Yep. That's yep. interesting. That, that came before the solution in the sense that I didn't set like a, a timeline on it. I didn't set um, necessarily what the idea was going to be. Yeah. But I saw that as a, the commercial sense of scaling what I was doing and maybe setting myself as a shaper and a surfboard designer on the map of having a point of difference. Yeah. And I think that's where I looked at my shapes and I was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got, what is it, 10 years experience shaping boards or yeah. eight years experience at that point. Pretty minimal compared to all the other peers in my industry of who course. are 40, 50, 60 years old and yeah, shaped yeah. hundreds of thousands of boards for the best surfers in the world. And that's where shapers traditionally get their reputation, right? Yeah. That, that longevity. Yeah. That yeah. In, in the latter years of their, of their career, yeah. after they have had a, a lot of experience and um, a long time in the, in the industry. Yeah. Um, but they didn't necessarily have a point of difference yeah. in the sense of a, a dramatic point of difference or any, a major improvement in the construction of a board through different sets of materials. And the shapers who did or had done that in the past had created reputations for themselves. Yeah. And who would you consider? I mean, Nev Hyman yeah. is, is one of those ones. I mean, it's not like he came up with the concept of the parabolic wooden construction surfboard um, with the balsa wood frame, you know, but I, he was instrumental in sort of probably commercializing that Taking concept it to market and then successfully. bring it to market. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure he had plenty of design input into um, that whole process, which I don't know exactly how that came about. So I, I probably, you know, I can't yeah, yeah. really speak but, on, but, on that behalf, but in but terms as an of, example of, as an example, yeah. I mean, even, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of the Solomon S core. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, the, yeah. The crew sure. behind that, that yeah. obviously didn't last. And um, yeah. I mean, there's a couple yeah, of things done, but I surfed those boards. That was probably about 12 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Simon Anderson with the three fin surfboard. Yeah. I mean, was, I was, was, a, was a great example. The I mean, one. if you go back through history, which, I was born in the 80s, so, and I'm not much of a historian with the, within the surf uh, culture and surf space. I, um, Maybe that helped, though. Yeah, I think it does. I, that, that's another interesting point. I actually never shaped underneath another shaper, so I, right. I never had that experience of being shown, this is how you run a business, this is how you shape boards, this is how you sort of build a board start to finish. Yeah. I did work experience and got shown half a board. Right. I was on my own for every other board after that. So it's all, all self-taught? All it's all self-taught, and yeah, I have worked with peers in the, in, in the industry. I've you know, rubbed shoulders with different shapers at particular points in time, shaped out of cer certain shaping bays or um, factories overseas yeah. through the years. Um, not like it's been something super consistent or something where I've had 10 years working out of that factory and yeah. you know, every season I've gone in and, and done that. Um, I've always kind of worked in my own lane or within my own brand and then um, it was kind of when I was Pretty, pretty early on, around 2004, I got my own surfboard factory um, in, in Mona Vale. Not on Darley Street, but just 100 metres over that way. Yeah. And um, I didn't know how to laminate a board at that particular point. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I knew how to laminate a very bad board, but okay. not a professional lamination that you'd sell in the shop. Right. But you got the factory anyway. But I got the factory anyway, <laughs> and I figured that part out in about two weeks and, and got to a point where I was happy to put that board into a shop and and sell that, but I had a lot of improvements to make. Um, but I, I've kind of enjoyed that because that's kind of allowed me to sort of solve the challenges and, the, you know, and, and learn things for myself. 
and just kind of take my own interests that I've learnt from, whether it be within surfboards or looking at other industries of how they manufacture products and, um, and bring those ideas into the board building process. And, uh, you know, I've definitely learnt lots from, for example, like uh, Vince, the guy who started Futures Fins. Yeah. Uh, he's been instrumental in teaching me about fin design and fin angles and learning what fin foils do and the technicalities around that. And, not necessarily on exactly where to place fins in a board, but definitely on angles of attack and, and what a fin foil is going to do in a shape or in a board and, and sort of how that sort of functions with the rest of a, a board. And yeah. then that's up to me to, to learn from, say, someone like Vince and then take that and adopt that and apply that to all the different shapes yeah. that I have. And yeah. it's, it's through the people like Vince that I, I have learned a lot about the technicalities behind fins and, and yeah. then put that into the design of my fins. Put your own spin on it. Yeah. Um, Have you always had that? Because, I mean, what you're describing here takes a lot of confidence, you know, to or single-mindedness, you might say, to, to sort of have an idea and think, well, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to work out a way. And, and obviously the states that you're talking about are fairly, you know, oh, I'm going to get a factory, I'm going to... Have you always had that single-mindedness? Have you always had that? Was that there from the start? Yeah, I think so. It's a level of... Um, stubbornness and you know I got brought up I'm the third child so I probably got a bit of middle child syndrome where yeah I want to do it my way and I'm going to do it my way and I can do it um, and probably be a little bit more different to my older brother who yeah was always way better than me at doing things in terms of off the mark he could stand up and ride a board sure I took me two years to probably get to my feet and ride a bit of whitewash properly and then yeah. progress to the next level so I'm a, I'm a slow burner with, with certain things, but um, when I'm interested in them, I, it, I really put my mind to it, and I, um, I, I want to learn when I'm interested in something. Okay. And that's um, probably what I've enjoyed about surfboards. It's actually, and being in business with surfboards is also a key component that I do actually enjoy doing. I mean, that's like an essential part of being an entrepreneur in your own business, isn't it? I mean, if you can't enjoy that, then you probably won't get very far, really. Yeah, and, it, and there's nothing wrong with if you don't want to be running and operating a business, yeah. and you just want to have the creativity, and you, you, for example, if you shape for another brand, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, um, if that's what personally works for yourself, um, that's an amazing thing to, to be able to focus on and, and, and just work solely on that particular part of the business. Yeah. Um, and, um, Owning a business isn't necessarily for, for everyone. No. Um, and and that, there's nothing wrong with that. I no, actually look for people and want to work with the best people in each different individual sort of part of my business. And I want, I, I want to learn from them. Yeah. I want them to be specialists in, in the certain areas and I want to be challenged and I want to um, sort of work with them to sort of take not only my company but our brand to the next level. Yeah. So they're the people I look to employ because um, they're going to teach me something and I'm going to learn from that and we're going to collectively as a group actually grow our, our business. So one of those key moments was um, after I launched Future Flex and, you know, I was licensing out to shapers, everyone from, say, Matt Bylas to, um, to Rusty to, you know, Channel Islands at, a, at some point. Um, you know, the list goes on. Lee Stacey, um, Mick Mackey, uh, smaller shapers, larger shapers, all, all types of shapers. It came, the global financial crisis hit. Yeah. And that put a huge handbrake on any boards going into retail stores. And that kind of... It's not a good climate for selling surfboards. No, but it, you know what? It was probably the best thing for me because I wasn't ready to grow in the sense that I couldn't manufacture enough boards to supply demand. Okay. And 
it taught me some pretty hard lessons right. really early on to how to scale back, get efficiencies, get better at what I was actually doing. Because I was pretty novice in the sense of building, you know, carbon fiber with epoxy resins, yeah, and yeah. foams, you know, after 12 months of building boards in that construction, you still haven't learned all, all the tricks of it. No. You know, um, and so it, it actually forced me to kind of become a lot stronger, a right. lot more knowledgeable about the business, about the, te- the building of the, and the construction that I sort of, sort of brought to market. And yeah. that Is- put me in a, in a pretty confident position a couple of years later when pretty much I was bankrupt. Right. And I really had to look at, well, what am I doing right? One thing I knew I was doing right was I was building that particular construction better than anyone in the industry. Sure. Um, yeah, we were copied by a couple of people and people, you know, dabbled with the concept of building boards with, you know, carbon, carbon frames around the rails of boards, but we were doing it in a way that I originally designed in the customised materials and, and doing it better than probably anyone else out there. Yeah. And we had the reputation for, for that, which was great. And, you know, the marketing and the branding and, and that side of things were, were doing really well too. Was that, I was going to ask you about the branding. Is that yours as well? The branding? Yeah. I mean, back then the, it was, yeah. The identity of the, of the company that you've created. Yeah. I mean, back then, nowadays, um, my wife, Danielle, for the last six to seven years have, has worked across that. Right. And, and really um, taken what I started as a, as a younger kid with um, not so much of a sense of, like, clear direction with it. Yeah. Just, just hitting interests and things, ideas, and just going yeah, yeah. for it. Instinctive. Um, yeah, that. definitely way more instinctive. And... Um, you know, over the last six or seven years, really tackled different projects and, and messages and creative direction on what we've done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, today the brand is a collaboration between my wife and I. Yeah. Um, and it's very evident of the, the impact that she's made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's been amazing for us as a, as a brand. But back to that point where we landed and we were basically... Um, we were basically bankrupt and I really had to sort of step back and look from 40,000 feet down on, on the business. Um, Nothing like impending bankruptcy to focus uh, the mind. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when my back's up against the wall, that's when I'd probably do my best work. And yeah. that's when I really had to challenge myself of like, well, what am I actually good at doing? Yeah. And um, what are my strengths, personal strengths, and what are the business's personal strengths? And then one of my weaknesses were, was sales. And, and distribution. And that's where I sort of looked around our industry at like, well, who is doing a great job of that? Okay. And that's what led me to the partnership with Global Surf Industries. Right, right, which okay. This is six or seven years on now, um, almost going to seven years next year. Um, they, were, they were doing a really good job of that. Right. You know, they had a really strong, deep distribution with, you know, across around 60, 70 countries. They, they were dealing with all the retail channels. Yeah. Um, and then they had a great partnership with Cobra, the manufacturing partner over in Thailand. And um, Interesting. I, 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 I saw that as two of, two of the things that I couldn't really nail. Yeah. When I was able to sell boards in, but then when I got enough sales on the table and I was like three, 400 board, boards deep in our factory backed up, I was only building 40, 50 boards a week. Okay. And the lead times stretch out. So how do you grow? And then how do you, um, you know, I opened up manufacturing over in Japan, over in Southern California, Queensland. You know, we had four or five manufacturing points for FutureFlex. And the quality was starting to get quite challenging. Okay. And I was shipping the boards all around, you know, all the materials around the world to keep the consistency of that. But every factory with the team that they have does it a slightly little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. And it was still quite consistent, but it wasn't 
as consistent as I wanted it to be. Yeah. And so when I um, that was one of our weaknesses, and and when I saw the opportunity and sat down with Mark Kelly and had a conversation and laid out what my strengths were, what I believe their strengths were, and the weaknesses of both our companies. Yeah. It was a great crossover. Okay. And um. And were they receptive? Very receptive. Yeah. I think that that's why that's what kicked the partnership off, and yeah. that's what keeps it strong and and together these days. Um, and so. I, one of the biggest challenges was to go into the manufacturing over in Thailand and um, articulating and getting them to understand the, the detail and the in intricacies of the board building process that I had learnt oh, during the GFC. It's another risk, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge risk. Yeah. I saw myself as a make or break moment in my career. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's I'd a never pretty... built boards at that level. I, I had to go in there and... It, it actually failed with the first, you know, five to 700 boards. Yeah. I actually forced them to be destroyed. Um, it was a very difficult moment that wow. I had Jesus. to, uh, but I'd already learnt the lesson a couple of years earlier where I didn't destroy 50 boards. Right, that weren't when, good enough. That weren't good enough, yeah. and that caused me a headache. And so in this moment, I was like, no, nope, I'm not gonna make that same the, um, sort of mistake twice. Yeah. And, but then it was on my shoulders to then retrain um, a production line and reset it up to follow my exact process. Yeah. And once we did that, and then we got better over a 12-month period by, by 2000, mid-2012, kind of coming into 2013, yeah. the manufacturing really came into, into its own. And um, the factory valued the relationship that they have with me like they do today. Yeah, yeah. And we had a great synergy going on. And a lot of people and the staff on the production line who I know and the same people that are there today, um, you know, I got to show them exactly how I perceived to build my technology and they followed that process and um, that's what sort of brought that level of consistency onto a global platform today. That must have been a satisfying moment. Very when satisfying that, moment. When that started to, yeah, to work. Yeah, because I had worked in other factories in, say, Japan, Indonesia, over in America and I've always really enjoyed meeting new people yeah. and working with teams of people and... Um, the excitement of like learning something new or teaching them and then getting better at what you do. Yeah. And I feel like Thailand has been the factory that's allowed me the opportunity to intricately and in a very detailed way, way specify how I want the product built. Okay. And followed that particular sort of um, process and then the level of quality control that's coming behind that. Yeah. And that's where I've probably learned more about building boards than I ever have. Okay. Um, and, and, and the, the replication of that original design concept that I came up with in 2006, yeah, yeah. and the shapes like the Hypno Crypto and yeah. the Holy Grail, that it, it all it all coming together. In it this. all comes together. Yeah. And it didn't come together overnight, and no. there was a lot of lot of hard work, a lot of trips to Thailand. It, it challenged my personal relationships yeah. with my wife today. You know, I, I barely saw her one year, and um, that that was extremely challenging personally. So all yeah. these all these little things that have come together, I, I feel like when I go into these sort of arrangements, I always try to, to think with a solution that's far beyond the years of where I'm at today. Right. So when I go in and design a, a manufacturing database, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to design this when I'm doing, you know, 200 boards, 300 boards a day, and the system's got to be designed for that. Meanwhile, I'm doing five boards a day. Okay. So I'm thinking really... So again, you've like, still got this long-term I've got a long-term vision, if you like. So, yeah, so, so once I put all that time and energy and focus on that, it's there to last a long time. Yeah. I'm not in this game to make a quick buck and to, 
to sort of capitalize on some, some, some decisions instantly. Yeah. I'm here to challenge myself to do it better than anyone else has done it before and better than I've ever personally done it and or, or tackled a project like that, similar project, or push myself to get better at what I'm doing every single time. Yeah. And I think that's what I love about surfboards where you, can all, you never get them 100% right. No. They're, 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 they're a work of art in the sense that a lot of hands touch each individual process. So there's a lot of hand sort of hand to eye sort of like sort of replication in, in that process. Yeah. And um, I tr have tried to refine every individual process to the point where the consistency and the variance in every one of those processes at a minimum. I was going to say you've minimized it. Minimized basically. it. And I've minimized that through you know, relationships through training, yeah. through the science of what we're doing. Yeah. But it's on all fronts. It's not just one thing that yeah, yeah. you're able to go, yeah, this is going to deliver that, you know, 100% of the time, at the, the, the perfect replication of the board. Well, and, and these are the elements that make a successful business. Yeah, like, I mean, these are the things behind closed doors that yeah. really make a huge impact on um, the experience that servers have, have riding a board. Yeah. And there's nothing better. That's, that's what I do this for. It's the love of, like, Seeing someone so stoked, they've just come back from a trip and their hypno crypto just got them barreled yeah. in, in these waves that are amazing. Um, yeah, that must be nice. They're starting to do top turns and they're sort of progressing with the surfing and they're just smiling ear yeah. to ear. Or they're, you know, someone like Cole Houseman who's winning and, and, you know, amazing sort of contests over in America and, you know, ticking off as a young kid, 16 years old, all these different wins um, on, on our performance shortboards. Um, it's, it's that level of stoke and that excitement that I, I sort of love to shape for and um, I try and um, sort of work hard at every sort of aspect of what I do to, to get that result as, as often as possible. So if you see someone in the water, are you straight over? Are you like... Yeah, uh, I'll paddle over to them. What do you think? Oh, I'm stoked. I'm always yeah. stoked but, but you, but are, you, are you saying to them like, what do you think, Tommy? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, how's your board going? Like, yeah. You know, some people go, oh, I didn't really like this one. I had a guy tell me the other day, oh, I didn't really like the Love Buzz. And I was like, oh, what size were you riding? He was like, oh, 5'10". And I'm like, what's that board you're riding? He's like, oh, 5'7". I'm like, well, 5'10 Love Buzz probably wasn't your best choice. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, he didn't quite enjoy that. But then I was able to maybe educate him about my boards a bit more. And yeah. he was really interested in the Holy Grail. Sure. So he's, and I was like, oh, just jump down to the... Um, to the showroom down to the shop and, and grab a demo and, and feel one of those out but make sure you get this size and this yeah, width yeah. and thickness and you know like but then there's other times and you know oh my god Hayden that was the best board I've ever had and yeah. it's serving really good or um, there's there's obviously I think as a shaper um, feedback is, is super important super yeah. valuable it's the, it's the best especially when it's best R&D there is yeah and it, criticism that's coming from the right place is also extremely valuable yeah. so um, I critique myself massively. Yeah. I'll, I'll ride a board one wave, two waves, and go, Ugh, that doesn't feel great. Um, back to the drawing board. And then I might circle back around and ride it another session and make sure that I was just not in a bad mood and, or I yeah, wasn't yeah. surfing that great and kind of make sure I feel the same feelings out, out, out of that board again. Um, but it's only through those experiences that you can make yourself better. Yeah. If everyone just keeps telling you make amazing boards, you, yeah. you, you're not going to improve on anything. So. It's, it's the feedback that you're going to look towards improving on and um, keep chipping away and you slowly, slowly progress. Yeah. So an impossible question for you then, but if you could only surf one of your boards, what would it be? Oh, geez. I mean, it's the Hypno Crypto for sure. Yeah. Because I've ridden that board in more varied, or more varied conditions and more locations around the world that 
I, I, I'm so stoked riding that board. Yeah. I've had probably some of the best waves of my life riding that board. Um, and for probably 80% of the waves out there, I can have a ton of fun riding it. Yeah. But I um, probably would get bored after a few years of just having to ride that same board over and over again. Maybe even less than that. Because I, I do enjoy riding different different boards. Oh, it must be great. And I think every surfer does. So yeah, yeah. As oh, that's why everyone's got a fucking massive quiver in there, basically. Pretty much so. Yeah. Anyone addicted to surfing is, is probably got more than one board. Um, or wants to get one more than one board, but for me the 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 hipdo would be the most versatile shape that I could travel anywhere in the world and enjoy the experiences of yep. um, traveling the world surfing. So that would be my one board. But um, if I wasn't forced upon that, I'd have probably twenty, thirty boards in my quiver and yeah, yeah. enjoying every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. So what's um, what's in the future? I think the future for myself is um, continue to to enjoy what I'm doing. You know, we made a big decision a year ago to close down a manufacturing line that I set up in LA. And it was after I found out my wife was pregnant that I made that decision. Okay. Um, I wanted to probably work, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed having a production line set up over in LA and we lived there or on and off for, for five years um, and ran the business and set up the brand and, and supported the distribution out of LA over there. Um, but it was challenging to, to run two teams and be training two teams as well as the Thailand team um, yeah, it's a busy on, schedule. All, on the progression of what we do. Yeah. And so we just recently this year built a new factory here in Monavar, which is kind of three times the size and has a space to supply a global demand of our custom boards and all the, the R&D projects and the colours and all the variations of the boards that we do. Yeah. And that's been a really positive move for myself. Um, moving back to Australia, living 10 minutes up the road um, up at Palm Beach and being able to surf the northern beaches more regularly and um, come down and work with, with the team and um, then, you know, bring that out to the, you know, send those boards out to sort of our global customer base yeah. from there. And so that's made the building of the boards and, and the business a little bit more simplistic, yeah. which has given me time to, to think more as a designer. And also, and, and take on our new, our new projects. Um, I'm working on actually a, a really interesting design project for a, a major bank here in Australia, Westpac. Yeah, yeah. We're on a range of um, accessories that you can tap and pay with. Wow. Which is a really, uh, really. Oh, right. So completely different. Completely out of surf. It's more of a Hayden, Hayden uh, design project, um, a wow. personal design project, which is challenging me to, to learn about new materials and different, different. Um, you know, products and how they would work or how I would use them. And, um, and did they find you through the boards? Yeah, it, it definitely all comes from spawning, spawns from, from, you know, obviously the core, the core thing that I design, which is surfboards. And um, so I, those projects, projects like that, I learn lots from. And that's yeah. why I take on these different projects. I, I like to take on collaborative projects or work with um, different ideas that are going to challenge me to get better at what I do. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't. I, I haven't had formal training of going to university or, or anything like that. So yeah, I um. These are my moments in my life where I get to learn new things. Yeah. So I see that as a great opportunity to to further my knowledge and skills of of um, designing things and um, it's it's a it's a cool space as well. It's like it's almost like the the smartphone case. You know, yeah, sure. All, all, lots of brands have. 
these products in, and accessories in their sort of lineup of accessories. And um, I feel like products, tap and pay products, are going to be one of those additions to a, to a brand's lineup of that they will sell, and you'll be able to put your little chip in there and yeah, yeah. tap and pay with, depending on. The design and style is going to depend on when and where you wear it. Yeah. Um, so is, is that going to go to market then? Sorry? Is that going to go to market? Yeah, it's going to go to market uh, around uh, probably April next year in 2018. Wow. Just in the Australian market. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, which is going to be fun. But I've got lots of um, other ideas that um, I'm kind of um, working on in terms of growing our product mix of what we offer um, and some of the products that surround going for a surf. I think that's one of our... Um, uh, main sort of um, goals of mine is to kind of sort of put my mind to those products that I use every day or maybe there isn't a product in, out there okay. that I, I see as like, oh, that would be amazing to have something like that right. and, and design to, and cater to that maybe a, a new niche in our sort of industry that could be a functional yet effective product to use. So any, any examples you can give me? Or? Well, I don't want to give them away yeah, at this stage. I thought, I thought you might um, say that. As well as I, I personally actually don't like to set timelines on when I'll deliver on something. I will generally like to um, design the product and have it to a point where it's, you know, it's going to be a great product for, yeah. for customers. Like I feel like when you when you're sort of selling a product, you want to you want to have a, a value exchange with with that customer. You want to bring them a lot of value with the product that you're selling them. Yeah. And that that takes you know sometimes plenty of time to think through the design, develop and design and, and manufacture the product. So it has the longevity. Um, it, it can give them many years of love yeah. and, and use. And um, and when those, I feel like those products you would be remembered for. Yeah. Rather than the churn and burn. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of like more sort of um, consumable products, which you know, there's many of those out there today that, that can you know really, um, you could run and operate a great business of selling those types of products and yeah. building those types of products. But for me, I, I'm my reason why I'm in this is because I do love to design surfboards. I do love manufacturing and building them. Yeah. And I love to challenge myself to, to always improve yeah. doing that. And that's why I'm in the business of what I'm doing. Yeah. I didn't set out and go, oh, I want to make money. Surfboards might be a cool product to make money from. Yeah, yeah. Um, money and making money out of you know this career is, is a byproduct of, I feel like, putting all that time and energy into designing and making great boards. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, if, if that comes along, with it, then great. Yeah. But as long as I'm having fun and enjoying yeah, yeah. it and supporting my family and, and the staff and all the, the people that, you know, support the brand um, yeah. and sell the brand and, and work building my boards. And it's really important for me to make great decisions to support that network of people who, who feed their families yeah. on, on the product that, that I design and, and, and manufacture. So yeah. um, that's also a big responsibility that I, I do think of these days is how many of the hundreds of people out there who support yeah. you know, what I do and, um, and, and bring that and make those boards and sell those boards around the world. Yeah. Um, and then even to the customers, like for me, I, I have a huge responsibility to them is to take them on a journey and to build them great boards that they're going to love surfing. Yeah. So, um, and you feel that responsibility quite key. Oh, hell yeah. More so now than when I was younger. Really? Was younger, Why do you think that is? Just because you're getting a bit older? Just because you, you... Well, there's more boards in the water and I have... Um, you know, I've, I've given s customers a certain level of experience with yeah. some of the shapes that I've done. So you feel the responsibility to maintain that? Uh, to, to at least be at that level. Yeah. And that's challenging. You yeah, know, I can that, understand that's that. That's probably why I probably take a, a while to maybe come out with a design or spend, like to spend a fair bit of time yeah. on a design to make sure that I'm, it's actually 
a worthy design to, yeah, to yeah. put out there. To fit in the, the canon, if yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Um, um, or at least designed to a certain, you know what I mean? Like, I, I would love to design boards for beginners one day. Yeah. You know, and add that to, to the boards I was Well, fo foamies are the, the hot thing right now, aren't they? Maybe it's not even a foamy. Yeah, but, it, Maybe it but is. that market is growing, isn't it? It is. A, it's yeah. a very important market. Because yeah. that's actually, the people who don't surf, yeah. the biggest part of the market that we can attract. Sure. And the more people that get into surfing and enjoy surfing, um, the bigger that's going to grow our, yeah, our yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, and that gives more of a chance of, you know, performance boards and boards that sort of sit at more of the top end of the industry in terms of price and sort of who is going to go surf them. Um, that sort of broadens our market. So. Well, it's such a healthy development, I think, like demystifying the beginning of surfing because I imagine so many people get put off by picking the wrong board, you know, early on. You just want to make it easy, don't you? You yeah. just want to show people that it's fun and it's easy. I reckon also choosing the right waves to go surf is sure. also a huge mistake that yeah. a lot of um, beginner surfers will make or there's, they haven't been yeah. trained about because... I did it. You, you go six, right... Six months in, I'm going to go to window. <laughs> yeah. But if you go surf, the, a nice cruisy point break that allows you plenty of time to stand up and, yeah, yeah. and ride and get time standing up on, on, a, on a board, um, you know, that's... That's going to excite them and get them better at what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, some people say to me, oh, I want to progress from my hipto and I'll go for a surf with them. I'll be like, stay on your hipto for another couple of years. Yeah. Maybe drop two inches from it. Yeah. But until you're doing X, Y, and Z on a wave, stay on that because that's where you're going to have most fun. That's where you're going to progress and get better at your surfing. Yeah. And it may be, if you're going to go on a trip to, say, Central America or, you know, maybe Indonesia or a location where you're going to get beautiful, clean waves that are easy to read and you got a bit more time to, to surf on a wave. Yeah. Maybe jump on a performance shortboard or yeah. you know, a board that sort of has a little bit more refinement and a bit more sensitivity. Yeah. But you'll be able to handle that sensitivity because of the, the conditions of the, that you're going to go the correct surf. wave, yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to educate people about their board choices. And I think like that's one thing that we try and do through our customer service team and the information that we put on our website um, is, you know, why would they want to ride this board? You know, why is this board suited to them when should they be sort of ordering a board like this and what yeah. type of ways would they go surf? And, yeah, yeah. And, and sort of steering them in the right direction. Now, when someone gets something in their mind, it's really hard to convince them otherwise. So yeah. sometimes you just go... No, I want that. Yep, yeah, put them on the best possible board for what's in their mind. But, um, you know, sometimes you can kind of steer people down the right track and um, put them on boards that sort of they may not think that they should be riding. Yeah. Um, but they come back and they're like, oh, that's such a fun board. I'm so stoked that I got that board. Yeah. So, um, it, and that takes a, a lot of experience of surfboards to, and, and talking to customers to understand, to make those the right decisions. And I think that's where I feel like our industry's come a long way. Yeah. In, in overall as an industry. And that's one thing that I'm personally really excited about is I, I, I get excited when other brands launch technologies. Yeah. It's great to see that all these other shapers have brought in technology to their fleet of boards and their, yep. their quivers that they're selling. And, um, that's a positive thing because that re reiterates and reinforces the decision that I made 10 years ago to bring technology yeah. into our brand and, and what we offer from a board point of view. Yeah. Um, so um, that's, that's a positive thing for our industry and then our websites and our information and how we sort of convey what we think of and how we design our boards as shapers yeah. and be able to articulate that to surfers and inform them on the decisions that they're going to make. That's... that's, a, that's that's a great thing for our industry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's one thing that I um, think is really important is, is, is putting people on the right boards and educating them in the right way so they get, get the right boards under their feet. Yeah. Um, so... Well, I've got one. I've got a final question because okay. we, we've done an hour. On, oh, wow. On, there we go. Yeah, unbelievable. And we haven't even gone through the factory. We didn't even so go to the factory, but we, we can do that after we turn the off. That can be the, the, um, the, ne- the next podcast. Yeah, exactly. That'll be four hours long, though. <laughs> um, well, the question I've got for you is what are you, what are you proudest of in this, in this uh, you know, oh, wow. in this career that you've carved out for yourself? Um, I'm proudest of following my own direction and own path yeah. um, is probably what I'm most proudest of. Um, and when I've been faced with tough decisions like basically being bankrupt, I've, I've, I did decide to stick at it um, and you know, make the choice to, to make that commitment to the people that I owed money to to pay them back yeah. um, and worked really hard to, to achieve that by you know, opening my mind up or stepping back from what I was doing and went, oh, maybe I should be doing it a better way and I yeah. could be sort of doing it in, in this way and these are my weaknesses and I need to improve on that. Um, I think that was a very challenging moment of um, sort of allowing myself to accept that I do have weaknesses and I need to get better at certain parts of what I do. Yeah. And that's led me to then be in the, the most exciting part of my career yeah. where the boards are being written by more people around the world and in the Stoke and um, the feedback's been, been amazing. You're sort of changing or you're sort of stoking surfers out around yeah. the world. So I wouldn't have enjoyed those experiences that I am today. Um, without those? Without having to been able to make those decisions and, yeah. and um, sort of trying to, you know, obviously allow myself to get better at what I do. Yeah. Um, Jeez, I mean, there's many more things that I, I'm scratching my head if people it's can not, watch this right now. That I'm it's, like, not, it's not an easy question. No, it's not an easy question. No. Um, I mean, I'm also proud of working with my wife in yeah. the business. That's a, I can't a really, be easy. Um, it's fun. It's well, challenging. Well, should I rephrase that? You must have to work at that because... Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's actually allowed us to have a better relationship on a much deeper level. Okay. In a sense that we, we have a great relationship personally, but... Um, being in business together and working together allows us to to understand each other more intricately and um, sort of allow each other to focus on our sort of strengths yeah. and, and support and help each other yeah. in, in the times when we need to and, and in our weaknesses. Um, and that's, I'm really proud of actually um, working with her and, and sort of being in this life and, and doing what we're doing together with her. So, and she's... Um, I'm sure would say the same thing, and we both in, enjoy it. Yeah, it's damn challenging, and it's um, there's it's a roller coaster of emotions, um, as well as um, it's n- there's no day that comes with, you know, all the the positive and the excitement and all the, all the sort of um, all the all the great things that there isn't the challenging things on, that lie, lie underneath. Yeah. Um, so having her there has been amazing, obviously support to myself to encourage me and give me the confidence to keep doing what I do. Yeah. Um, and because uh, I, I really do love, love doing this and I, yeah. I do want to keep doing it for, for a long time. So, sure. I can, yeah. I can understand why. Yeah, I've got probably, what, geez, another 30, 40 years doing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, probably 70 years old. Yeah, I well. Think a lot of shapers don't, don't end up retiring. We all just... Just keep slow going. Slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Make some bigger surfboards. Yeah, I think everybody, yeah. It'd be longboards. Yeah. yeah. Surf the better days, yeah. go to better locations. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm quite happy to 
to um, get to that period in time and hopefully um, see see my daughter and if I have any more kids, watch them surf and yep. have a great time. And um, yeah, I mean, keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, Hayden, that's been great. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's been a great chat. And, yeah, um, thank you. Looking thanks. forward to, to hearing more of your podcast as you travel around the world and yeah, thank you. do more things. Yeah, thanks, man. Unreal. Cheers. So there you go. That was my conversation with Hayden Cox of Hayden Shapes. And how good was that? I had such a great day with uh, Hayden and Biggie in Mona Vale. Everybody at Hayden Shapes was super welcoming. And as I said at the top, I really must thank Danielle Cox for going out of her way to make this one happen. It's a measure of the man as well that as we left the showroom and headed to the factory, Hayden casually said, have you got a board? And when I told him I'd been surfing a little foamy in the Sydney summer waves, he turned round, headed back to the shop, grabbed me a 6'6 Hipto Crypto to surf for the rest of the trip, which I'm sure you'll agree is a pretty generous act. Now, full disclosure, it's the first time I'd ever ridden one, not probably a lack of research that I should be uh, admitting to after just interviewing him. But I must say that after a few surfs at Manly and Bondi subsequently, I've, I've pretty much drunk the Kool-Aid on that board. It is amazing and it's perfect for a smack bang intermediate like me. So I'm already sort of uh, plotting how I can buy the thing and take it back to the UK with me. But what I really found fascinating about this one, as I said at the start, was how it sheds light on the fierce entrepreneurialism and risk taking that has led to the ubiquity of the Hypto Crypto. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who see that board every time they paddle out at their local spot. I know I do. And I did show Hayden some footage of uh, his boards being ridden at grimy Shoreham Harbour on a classic 4-6 southwesterly January swell, which uh, his reaction was, was a sight to behold to that. But hearing his uh, story, I'm sure will illuminate things next time you do see somebody paddling out on one of the Hypto Cryptos back in the UK. So after this part of the chat, we did head over to the factory where I was lucky enough to be taught through the whole place and board making process by Hayden. I did record that as well. And uh, I'm going to release that as an exclusive to Looking Sideways newsletter subscribers at some point over the Christmas period. If you did sign up to my newsletter, and there has been many hundreds of you now in the last couple of weeks, you've probably noticed that I've not actually sent many out. Um, yeah, it's just a time issue, that one. So I've got a little bit more time on my hands on this trip, so I'm going to send out a newsletter. If you want to get your hands on that and get your hands on this little bonus episode with Hayden Cox talking me through the Hayden Shapes factory and also talking me through the new custom he's uh, made for Craig Anderson for Christmas, you know what to do. Head on over to www.wearelookingsideways.com and sign up there. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning into this one. For my next episode and for part two of the Aussie Omnibus, I'm going to be speaking to none other than Lane Beachley. Yep, seven times world champion Lane Beachley, who it turns out, not that I've met her yet, is incredibly cool. I emailed her um, completely out of the blue and she got back to me um, almost straight away and invited me around to her house in Manly to do the interview, which I'm going to do in a couple of days. And I'm very excited about that because she's a cast iron legend, that lady. And she's, I'm sure from what I've been hearing from everybody, she's going to have a lot of tales and a lot of wisdom to impart. So, yeah, thanks, Lane. Thanks for the hospitality, and I'm going to look forward to meeting you then. So that's it for now. Keep them peeled for uh, that one and the rest of my Aussie Omnibus specials. If you've got any feedback, head to the site, hit me up, social channels, you know the drill. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. See you later. <laughs>